So this morning, I'm continuing to go through the book of Acts, the story of the early church. Um, And we're looking at Acts 20, verses 17 to 38 this morning. It's a passage where Paul, on his missionary travels, stops in Ephesus, a church where he had been for three years helping to start this church. He stops, he meets with the leaders of the church, basically, and, and shares some thoughts with them before continuing on. Um, it's really the only, it's unique because it's the only speech, I guess, in Acts that's given to a Christian audience. Most of them, of course, are more, you know, reaching out to other people who don't know Jesus. A lot of those speeches are recorded, but it's the only one given to a Christian audience. And so it has a lot of things to tell us about what God desires for his church. So I'm going to read Acts 20, 17 to 38 this morning. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. If you don't mind, this is struggling here. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you, night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed, and they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to his ship. Let me pray before we continue. Lord, I pray that you would make this clear to us what this means, what it meant back then, what it means for us today, Lord. Help us to see your heart in this passage and transform us, Lord, to be more like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So once again, the background is that Paul had spent three years in Ephesus building up this church, and now he meets with the elders, the leaders of the church, as he passes through to impart some wisdom to them before he continues. And I want to share just two things things in particular that I think are the heart of Paul's message, which I believe have a lot to say to us today. The first main message he has is this, that I have dedicated my life to serving God 
and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the first main thing you hear from Paul here, loud and clear. Let me just go through again with some highlighted parts. He said, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. And you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So clearly he's saying that is the message. My message has been one of turning from sin to faith in Jesus, repentance and faith. It's the gospel message that has never changed, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that whoever turns from their sins, confesses them to God and looks to him, will have eternal life, will be saved, will be reconciled to God. He says, I haven't hesitated to go from house to house preaching that. It goes on to say, now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me task of testifying the gospel of God's grace. So listen to Paul. He's saying, I have a singular focus, and that is to serve God wherever he leads me and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't even care about my life. Listen, I am facing persecution everywhere I go. There's these plots against me. I know I'm heading to Jerusalem. I'm facing prison. I'm facing hardships. That does not matter to me. What matters to me that I'm faithful to the message that God has given me to the mission he has given me, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what my concern is. I'm not concerned about my life, what happens to me. It's a singular focus. Again, Paul may have said, listen, I, I, was, I was passionate. I was focused in what I thought was serving God. But it turned out I was completely anti-God. That in my pursuit of God, I was persecuting Christians I thought Jesus was a blasphemer. And Jesus appeared to me on the road to Damascus and revealed himself to me and showed me that I was completely mistaken. I was sincere, but I was sincerely mistaken. And he turned my life around and he showed me mercy. And now he has sent me on this mission to proclaim the gospel clearly to Jew and Gentile. And that's what I'm going to do until the day I die, whenever that day may come. As Paul wrote elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That was Paul. The old Paul, bent on persecuting the church, the new Paul, dedicated to serving God. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you believe this? This, he says, is the gospel of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ reconciled us to God, brought us back to a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation to go out and plead with others to be reconciled to Christ, to come back to God. Do you believe this? Listen to me. If this is true, what I'm saying here, if this gospel is true, if what Paul preached, if what Jesus preached is true, there's nothing that matters more. There is no 
mission, no cause, nothing you can devote your life to that matters more than this. If it is true that there is a God that we are separated from, if it is true that there is eternal separation from that God, what the Bible calls hell, if that is true, if God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to come to live the perfect life we couldn't live, to die on the cross in our place, if that is true, then there's nothing that matters more. No message, no mission that matters more. Nothing else in this world that is worth giving your life to. As Paul said, no matter what comes my way, no matter what persecution, opposition, struggle I face, I'm pressing on. This is the mission God has called me to, and I'm going to do it until the day I die. Reminds me of a video I'd watched, uh, a speech given by this man, Penn Jillette. Anyone ever heard of Penn Jillette, Penn and Teller? Out of Las Vegas, illusionist. Uh, he, he's a very smart, outspoken atheist. It's easy to find videos where he's ridiculing Christians. Uh, in one video, he speaks of this interaction he had with a Christian, and he said this. He said, he walked over to me, and he said, I was here at the show last night. I saw the show, and I liked it. He was complimentary about my use of language and my honesty. He said nice stuff, and then he said, I brought this for you, and he gave me a pocket Gideon's Bible with the New Testament and Psalms. He said, I wrote in the front of this, and I wanted you to have it. I'm proselytizing, which means he was sharing his faith. I want you to know I'm a businessman. I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye, and it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist, but he was not defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes, and he was truly complimentary. It didn't seem in any way that it was empty flattery. He was kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eye and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. If you believe there is a heaven and a hell and people could go to hell, could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate someone not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe that there is a truck bearing down on you and you don't believe it, there's a certain point at which I tackle you. And this is more important than that. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and gave me a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me and five phone numbers and an email address in case I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there is no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. But I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man, and that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think religion does a lot of bad stuff, but that was a very good man. Do you believe the gospel is true? Do you believe that Jesus Christ has lived and died and rose again and made a way for us to be right with God? That our eternal destiny depends upon how we respond to that offer. If that's true, then do not waste your life on trivial things and things that will not matter in the long run. Give your life to something that matters eternally. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's the first thing that is clear in Paul's message to the Ephesian elders. He's dedicated his life to serving God, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing else that matters more. The second message is clear as well. I'm zealously concerned about your well-being. I was trying to come up with the right adverb, adjective. What is that? I'm zealously concerned about your well-being. Not only is he dedicated to God, he is ardently, passionately, 
zealously concerned about their spiritual well-being and their physical well-being. He goes on to say this. Again, I've highlighted some of the parts that really bring this out. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. It's a powerful thing to say. It's like I've left it all in the field. I got nothing to be ashamed of. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Listen to this man's heart. Not only is he like, listen, I've given myself fully to God and to his mission, but I love you so much. I have poured out my life for you. I've made sure that I left it all in the field in the three years I was here. And I'm asking you as I leave, please keep watch over this church. Please shepherd them, guard them. There are wolves out there. There are wolves even among you. Be shepherds, guard and watch over these people. Do not rest. Do not, do not let your guard down. Take care of them. Now, this has particular meaning, of course, for elders. He's speaking particularly to the Ephesian elders who are shepherds watching over the flock. But it has meaning for all of you. And I want to challenge you this morning. If you consider this your church home, or if you're considering making this your church home, can I challenge you with this? Take responsibility for each other's well-being. Take responsibility for each other's well-being. Look out for each other. Take responsibility for each other. I have many flaws. One of my flaws is that I am prone towards irresponsibility. Came to recognize a few years into marriage that I had the ability to walk by something that was in need of repair for weeks on end before I finally stopped and said, wait, I'm the adult here. I should be the one fixing that. I have this tendency towards irresponsibility, towards walking through life, assuming that somebody else is going to take care of it. And now I have found that in order to combat that, I need to deliberately walk through my house, so to speak, you know, and walk through any place I go and stop and look around and think, what do I need to do? What here needs to be taken care of? Because I'm the adult in this situation. And sometimes I can run into that with the church as well. Again, this is my responsibility. These people are my responsibility. It's not that someone else is going to care for them. It's my responsibility. When we do elder training, when we're training people up to be elders in this church, one of the things I challenge people with is to walk into church on a Sunday morning as if you're responsible for the people here. It's been a long time since I walked into a church where I was not the pastor, but I do remember walking into a church more concerned about myself 
right? I'll get here when I get here. I'll park somewhere close. I'll sit where I usually sit. I'll participate. I'll sing. I'll listen. And then when I'm done, maybe I'll say hi to a few people or maybe I'll just leave. And that's how I participate in church. And I challenge people, you know, if they're considering leadership in the church, walk into a church as if you're responsible for people. As if it's not just about you and your comfort, but as if you're responsible. What might that look like? Consider, if if this has never crossed your mind before. It might mean when you pull in, choosing a parking spot that's a little further away, allowing spots for visitors, for the elderly, for those with small children to park closer. It might mean arriving early, being ready to greet, being ready to help where there's need, help needed, arriving early to pray for the service, preparing your heart to meet with God. It might mean coming here and welcoming the stranger. If you see someone new, welcoming them, letting them know you're glad they're there, inviting them to sit with you maybe. It might mean offering to pray with someone afterwards. You kind of look around and you see, is there someone who's emotional, someone who is sitting and praying, someone who's reflecting on things and offering to pray for them? It may mean paying attention who's not here. Saying, you know what, I haven't seen him or her for a few weeks. Why don't I reach out and see how they're doing? If there's anything they need. It may mean spending time after the service asking people about their story and listening to them, getting to know them better. Taking responsibility for the church may mean, how can I invest my time in service on a Sunday morning? Can I serve one week a month in the Sunday school class? Taking responsibility for the next generation of children here. Can I serve in the coffee ministry, taking responsibility for hospitality or as a greeter? Can I serve in prayer after the service? How can I serve? Taking responsibility means how can I serve on a Sunday morning and not just come and be served? Taking responsibility means how can I invest my money in this church? tithing to give to make sure that we can do the things that God has called us to do. It means being a student of the scriptures and being willing to listen and to offer feedback or encouragement on what blessed or what didn't make sense to make sure that this church stays faithful to the gospel and to God's word. And that's just Sunday morning. Those are some examples of walking in on a Sunday morning with an attitude of responsibility that this is my church family. And I'm going to be someone who's responsible for each other. Outside of Sunday, it may mean praying for and caring for the sick. Helping share meals with those who are in need. Visiting someone who needs a friend. Hosting a community group. Looking for someone who you can encourage or disciple or befriend. It means going against the grain of our culture and not just being a consumer everywhere we go. And and going somewhere to evaluate what does this do for me, what's in it for me, but instead coming as a shepherd, as a minister, as a brother, as a sister. How can I be responsible for another human being? How can I care for someone else? As Jesus said in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What did he say would set the church apart? By the love you have for each other. That this would be a community where people are loved, where everyone is looking out for each other, taking responsibility for each other. Every need is taken care of. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Or as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. I mean, have you not seen as you look around at how loneliness has become an epidemic in our culture? How lonely people are? How many people are longing for community, longing for people who actually care, who reach out, who get together, who take responsibility for each other. It is harder and harder to find community that neighborhoods are no longer the way neighborhoods once were and churches the same way. And I encourage and challenge you to take responsibility for each other. Yes, we're first and foremost about the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming that, that's our mission, but it's just as much about community and loving each other as he's loved us. Couple comments on that. First of all, some of you already take a lot of responsibility, and I know that. <laughs> some of you hear this, and you're like, but I already do so much. And we th- we're so grateful for those of you who already take a lot of responsibility for each other. I know some of you have a heart that completely buys into that and is always looking around for who you can love and care for and who's not here and how you can love them. And I'm so grateful, and we're so grateful for you. This is not meant to add more to your plate. We are grateful for you. I would say, notice how Paul did not stay in Ephesus forever, right? He was there for three years, and then he trusted God and followed the leading of the Holy Spirit and trusted that God would use the elders there to take care. He knew that it was not all dependent on him, right? He knew that he was not God, that there was a God, and that sometimes following that God meant going and serving elsewhere and entrusting the care of people to others. Secondly, I would say, in response to this whole idea of caring for each other, and that a lot has shifted in this church since COVID, right? A lot has shifted in a lot of churches since COVID. I've noticed that our church is at the same time smaller than ever and bigger than ever. Fewer people come on a Sunday than ever before, and more people are reached than ever before online. And at the same time, we've got all kinds of people who will hear from me like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I worship with you guys every Sunday online, while there's fewer people here in the building. We praise God for how God has used that technology to reach out. And there's a lot of people who just can't get out of their homes. And, and this has been a great way to reach them, to help them to feel part of this community. So some people are home for legitimate reasons. But I want to encourage and challenge some people, of course, you can get used to staying home because it's more convenient. And just keep in mind that God's intention was not that church would be something that's mediated through a screen that God's intention would be that we would be part of a community where we use our gifts to serve others, where others use their gifts to serve us, where we take responsibility for each other. And it's hard to do that through a screen. So again, God's desire is that this church would love and take responsibility for each other, that you would be part of a living, breathing body of Christ, that you would be discipled by others and disciple others. And one of the hardest things about the post-COVID year we've had here is that there's fewer people who take more responsibility. There used to be a lot more people who were here in person than you shared a lot of responsibility, and now there's fewer people. And that's hard, especially on those who are the ones taking more responsibility. And so I encourage you, 
Again, God's desire is that we would all, who call this place our church, take responsibility for each other, love each other, serve each other with the gifts that God has given us. That's Acts 20. That's Paul's message to the Ephesian elders. First of all, that he's dedicated his life to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to serving God wherever he leads him, whatever the cost. And then secondly, that we would be zealously concerned about each other's well-being, looking out for each other. I just close by saying this has been an emotional week for me. And my closest friend in ministry resigned his position this week as a pastor of one of the churches in town um, in response to a group of people who did not feel he was the right man for the job. And it's, it's, it's hard to see my friend go through that. And it's also hard knowing that I'm not half the pastor that he is. And I say that with all honesty, I'm not half the pastor that he is. And the only reason I am still standing up here is first and foremost the mercy and grace of God who never treats me as my sins deserve. Secondly, it's the grace and mercy of my wife who has stood by me and supported me through many, many, many years, picking herself up off the mat to come alongside and continue to serve and pour out her heart and life for this church. Talk about taking responsibility for the well-being of others. There's no one who does that more than Michelle in this church. And then I'm, I'm still standing in here because of the grace and mercy of you, because of the elders of this church over the years, because of, of you who are here. I have many flaws. There are many ways that I've fallen short of the man I want to be and the pastor I want to be. And I'm so grateful for grace and mercy of God's grace and mercy, my wife's and this church's grace and mercy that continues to allow me to do this. There's absolutely nothing, nothing I would rather do than pastor this church, than serve God in the way that he's called me to, which right now is here. It is serving this church and loving you. And I'm so grateful that God has not kicked me to the curb, which he could have done many times over and just said, I'm going to find someone else better for this. But he's allowed me to do this. And so I'm grateful for you all. And I just encourage you, please give yourself to that which matters eternally, to the mission of the gospel, however he calls you to do it. Care for each other. Take responsibility for each other.